Welcome to the GB News Real Me podcast. I'm Gloria DiPiero. Now, we all have views on politics and politicians, but aside from the spin and the knockabout, who are they? What makes them tick? What's their life story? And why have they chosen a life in politics? That's what the Real Me podcast is all about. We hope you enjoy a very different type of political interview. Joining me today on the podcast is Johnny Mercer, the Conservative MP for Plymouth Moorview. Johnny is a former officer in the armed forces, retiring with the rank of captain in 2013 before turning to politics. Two years later, he was elected. He tells me what it's like to be an MP. Do you know what? It's an incredible privilege um, and you get to, you do sort of make gradual change. And I, I guess the stuff around casework is really rewarding, like when you can intervene and get stuff done. But um, it's a bit of a slog at the moment, yeah. What's the most unexpected thing you've learnt about politics and parliament? Well, look, I, I mean, I came into this having had nothing to do with politics, right? I wasn't even a councillor. I didn't... When I tried to be an MP, I didn't know how associations worked. I didn't know there were 650 uh, constituencies. So that I, I was and, and remain, I think, to an extent, quite naive about, about politics. Um, so quite a lot of it has surprised me, if I'm honest. But in, in a way where I didn't really have any preconceptions, um, you know, it's all kind of news. And of course... I have been caught out and I've made mistakes and things haven't been as I hoped they would be and so on. So I think, uh, you know, and that's pretty plain for everybody to see. But, um, I, you know, I'm never going to apologise for that. I think, uh, you know, I think um, we do kind of need to do better as politicians. And, uh, uh, you know, ultimately we, we are voted in um, by people who go to work, work hard every day, um, who, you know, are expected to... Um, uphold standards at work and work to a certain standard and I, I think we should be as well but you know it, it's uh, you know it's, the last six months has been a big education for me for sure. Why? What's happened in the last six months? Well I mean I, I was sacked from, from the government which is fine you know everyone's got to get sacked every now and then but then the kind of machine turns against you right and uh, um, you realise uh, you know I guess who, who when people go around saying different things to different people, obviously you are eventually going to work that out. Um, and that's obviously quite a painful process. Um, and it's been a crash course in politics. I've, you know, and, and what I've learned is that whilst it, it did make me very cross at the time and, you know, the Afghanistan situation as a failure of politics and what's happened to Dennis Hutchins over the last uh, few weeks, the soldier on trial in Northern Ireland, uh, it does kind of make me very cross there is kind of no point howling at the weather, right? And I've got to find a way of doing things differently uh, and in a better way to try and achieve the outcomes I'm trying to achieve. Um, so it's been, you know, I've learned a lot. Um, I've learned, uh, you know, and I've made mistakes. I think I've been very critical of all my colleagues, which I think, um, you know, in hindsight, I wouldn't do that again. There were good people in there. You know there were good people in there. Um, but uh, there's no doubt about it that, um, you know, there are serious problems in the quality of, uh, of our politics at the moment. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, the public will only really put up with it for so long. What's the most, the biggest problem? <sighs> I mean, it's a broad field. I think um, 
you know, one of the things I found very difficult is this idea of teamwork, how teamwork... So I'm not really seen as a team player in politics, right? Which is absolutely bizarre if you look at my background, right? So the idea of, of being a team player or teamwork, if you like, is totally different in political parties as it is to, for example, in my background, where you couldn't survive if you weren't a decent team player. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think that creates sometimes a bit of a, a dangerous environment because people end up doing things they then regret and, you know, voting for things they felt like they shouldn't vote for, saying things they felt like they shouldn't say because you're kind of in that atmosphere and everyone's saying, well, if you don't do this, you're not part of the team. And I know individuals in there think, actually, this probably isn't the right thing to do. But they then sort of go and do it anyway and, I, and because they want to be part of a team. And it's, it's not a bad thing to want to be part of a team. But outside politics, that is completely the wrong thing to do. So, you know, I think um, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, um, changes that I'd like to see in politics. But, you know, in the big scheme of things, I, I, I've been here five minutes and, uh, you know, let's see what happens. So the words that you oh, no. said about Boris Johnson, who you were a big supporter of in the leadership contest, you said... Boris Johnson surrounds himself with cowards and desperately weak advisers. It, it's difficult when you're in this for a cause like I am. Okay, so I'm not here because I like being a politician. I'm not here because I like the stage and I really want to progress in politics. I'm here for a cause, right? And when you're fighting for that cause and you receive such a setback and people are a little bit disingenuous about it, you are going to react quite badly. Now, would I say those things again? No. But unfortunately, they are true. Okay, the stuff around what we've just done to Northern Ireland veteran Dennis Hutchins, where he's essentially died in a court process, that has happened because of political cowardice, because we have not seen through our promises to our veterans. And, you know, so those are the facts of the matter. People can, you know, be uncomfortable with that, but that's the reality of it. If we committed to that, like we committed to Brexit, for example, or the European Football League, or the Green Agenda, okay, these veterans would see out their days in peace and we'd actually, you know, be on our way to being the best country in the world to be a veteran. Um, but as it stands, we're a long way from that. And obviously that made me pretty cross at the time. And I feel like whatever I've done here, I do play everybody with a straight bat. Whether it's comfortable or not, I will play everybody with a straight bat. And I'll say the same thing to different individuals. And... All I wanted to be treated was the same in, in return, right? With a bit of respect. Um, and, uh, you know, some individuals thought they could get away with, with not doing that. Um, and, and I, you know, and I called it out. And people don't like it when you call it out. But, you know, unlucky. Your cause is to support those people who serve our country and who have served our country. After you were fired, Obviously, you felt very angry and hurt by that episode. Do you speak to Boris Johnson still? No. No, I have no relationship with Boris. I mean, I wrote, I wrote to him about the Northern Ireland thing because I felt like when the government produced its solution to Northern Ireland, which I think is a bit crass, a bit ham-fisted, and it's going to upset a lot of people, there's better ways of doing it. I thought I kind of owed it to the Prime Minister to write what he should be doing and, you know, who he should speak to, the police and people who, families, groups who've worked in this for a long time. There is a path through without just drawing a line and cutting off pathways to access for people whose kids were murdered by the IRA. That is a big step to take, but that is what the government proposals are. And I thought I owed it to him to write to him what they are. Um, so I wrote him a letter, but, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't even bother to respond. So, um, you know, I, I have no relationship with the Prime Minister, which is sad. And, you know, and I feel... 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going through that phase where I advocated for him very strongly because I thought the things that I cared about were going to happen and that he was my best chance of that stuff happening. And, you know, obviously now I feel like a bit of an idiot, but I, I've just got to wear that out. Um, you know, that is politics. And uh, I don't regret it because I, um, you know, because I genuinely thought we'd get change in these areas that I passionately care about. Um, but, uh, you know, the Prime Minister lost interest in that agenda. And, you know, I mean, we just had PMQs where Angela Rayner spoke about veterans care and absolutely destroyed a Conservative Prime Minister on veterans care. I mean, how do you think that makes me feel as a Conservative, uh, as the party of defence? Um, it's very difficult times, yeah. So you were um, a British Army officer. You served in Afghanistan. Just tell me about what... Tell me about your experience as the most m memorable or important lessons you learned from your time serving our country. Oh, look, I mean, it's, it's a huge privilege to lead men and women on operations. That is the, for me, that's the ultimate privilege. So, you know, getting to Parliament, I'm afraid, wasn't the high point of my life. Um, you know, it's an enormous privilege being here. But for me, it's always been about what I did, uh, what I did previously and how lucky I was. Um, uh, the experiences were, you know, massive highs and massive lows. And what those things do is teach you, yes, about a lot of things, but the single biggest thing it teaches you is about yourself and critically, like, what you're not good at as well. And that's what I don't see in politics. Like, you're, you're kind of expected to have an answer to everything, to know everything, to have a position on everything. Mm. Whereas, actually, in the real world... Most people who get to, you know, start rising up a profession and get quite good at it, realise they're quite good at that, but also know where the line is and when they don't understand something. That doesn't happen in politics. Um, and so it's what it kind of taught me about myself as an individual and uh, as a man and, uh, and how I grew into a man in the military. I joined very young. Um, and the people is, you know, for me, is what it's all about. I genuinely think they are uh, the finest people in the nation. Um, I make no apology for that. Um, and I think we should look after them a lot better than we do. It's as simple as that. Most people wouldn't have the courage to serve our country. Um, standing in a battlefield, I mean, it, it, it blows a lot of our minds to be able to do that because we'd be scared. H how often are you scared? In politics? No, when you're serving our country. Oh, lots, you're... yeah, yeah. I mean, fear is totally normal, right? Um, and, I mean... So I wrote a book about it and I was really surprised because the book's done really well. And I don't, I don't really sort of talk about it and promote it because what's in the book is actually, it's, you know, a lot of it doesn't reflect very well on me. A lot of people have come out of that, written all these stories about how I did this and how I did that. And what I try to do is get across how it feels like to do that day after day after day and have to really kind of grip your fear and become a master of yourself. Um, and that was the that was the challenge that I enjoyed because you know if you go out if someone's getting hit on every patrol right if someone's getting shot on every patrol someone's losing a leg on it on every patrol um, you have to really master your body and your emotions to be able to lead guys and girls through that and um, you know so so of course you get scared um, but you've got to learn to control it and. Um, Look, I don't. I, I, I want to get away though from this thing that you know people just feel sorry for veterans and all the rest of it. You know, we volunteered to do it. I must be honest. A lot of it was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. 
It was the finest times of my, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And I'd do it all again in a heartbeat. Um, so, you know, I don't want anyone feeling sorry for veterans. I think that's a big problem in this country, in this country where people look at veterans and just feel sorry for them. We've got to go from sympathy to empathy. What does it actually feel like to be a veteran and how do we make their lives easier rather than just feeling sorry for them? And what's the prescription? What, where are we, what are we failing to do that we should be doing for veterans? So on a macro level, I mean, we are the... Before I set up the Office of Veterans Affairs, we were the only Five Eyes country in the world. So our comparative peer nations are kind of Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America. Um, you know, we were the only one of those without a dedicated veterans minister, without a dedicated Office of Veterans Affairs. I mean, we still don't have a dedicated uh, veterans minister in the cabinet, um, you know, looking after veterans' um, interests. Um, but setting up the OVA was a bit, the Office of Veterans Affairs was a big step. The trouble is, all the kind of political energy and money, even the money's being taken out of it. Let's go back to your childhood. You are one of seven siblings. One of eight. One of eight. Yeah. Oh, yes, you grew up with seven siblings, forgive yeah, me. Did, yeah. Um, yeah. You grew up in a strict Baptist family. Yeah, it was great what does, fun. What does that mean? So, like, uh, Baptists are quite religious. Okay. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah no, I... no problem, no problem. <laughs> um, strict Baptists, right, are like strict Baptists. And uh, they're good people, um, but it, it is a very formal, defined existence. And... Um, you know, so my family grew up in that environment, uh, you know, same place, church on a Sunday, hour, hour long, so hour and a half long services um, every Sunday and every opportunity. I mean, I've spent hours of my life sat on church benches listening to listening to this stuff. And uh, yeah, and obviously that percolates into home as well. And, uh, you know, it's quite a, a challenging existence, I think, at times. Yeah. Do you have faith now? Um, no, uh, no. I mean, I, I can't lie about it. No, I don't. Um, you know, Afghanistan knocks all that stuff out of it, out of me. When you, you know, when you see kind of man's inhumanity to man on that scale, I think it's very difficult to believe in anything, really. You're very open about your views on politics. You're very <laughs> straight talking, but I know from Westminster that it's not. It's not always good to be straight talking. No. Do you have friends in <laughs> Parliament? I know you have friends in... Oh, I assume you have friends in real life, but do you have any friends in politics? Is it possible to have friends in politics? So, six months ago, I would have said no. Um, but I do... Yes, I have got friends. Um, and uh, it was difficult... You know, it's difficult when you're a minister and I think you become quite isolated from the parliamentary party. Because, actually, if you think about what qualifies you to be a minister in the eyes of prime minister and things like that you know often it's um you know it's a it's a set of characteristics that probably wouldn't lend themselves to sort of being a close friend of mine if, if i could put it like that so you know it was quite an insular experience of being um a minister and i was constantly fighting for this agenda um and essentially got you know in some ways, you know, felt like I was kind of set up to fail, right, with the Office of Veterans Affairs. Um, so, of course, I, I do have friends. Um, and uh, I need to do better, I think, at cultivating that rather than, you know, sort of kicking the doors down every day and asking why people aren't doing enough for veterans. And, you know, and I hold my hands up to that. I think, you know, the, I've learned a lot, like I said, over the last six months. Um, 
And, and for me, uh, I never had anything to do with politics before. You never and, even and voted. You never even, never voted, even voted until right? you were a candidate. So I have to, uh, you know, politics, there's no point howling at the weather, right? So I have to find a way of making this stuff work and getting on and getting this stuff done that I want to get done um, and bringing people with me. And, uh, you know, I've got to find a way of doing that. And, and that's, you know, what I'm going to put my energies into. I'm not, you know, I hear people saying to me, you know, you're going to stay, you're going to stay. Uh, I'm going absolutely nowhere. Um, you know, I don't see why I can't fight for my version of the Conservative Party as much as anybody else wants to fight for their version of Brexit or the Conservative Party or right-wing politics. You know, I firmly believe in a modern, compassionate Conservative Party. I think what, what you know, we offered certainly to left-behind communities like mine in, in Plymouth was life-changing, and I'm, I was very proud of that, and I'm going to fight for that as hard as anyone else fights for their agenda. Would you like to be a leader of the party? No. Clear, straight talking again. <laughs> right, let's um, let's talk to you about something more light-hearted. Um, very recently, in the last week, you were rated the most fanciable male Tory MP according to a dating site poll. How do you plead? Well, not guilty because um, <laughs> there's no polite way of saying of my answer to that, which is you know being. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to comment on that. I don't want to, I'll just get myself in trouble again. But, look, I, I, I'm delighted that I've actually won something for once. Yeah. First time I've won something, so there we go. And uh, you appeared in a Dove shower gel advert. Yeah, well, I mean, only, you wouldn't be able to do that if you weren't uh, regarded as a hunk. <laughs> well, you say that, but I think what they were after was kind of, you know, slightly sort of chubby past it men um, to show that, you know you know, that uh, normal people use Dove. So I think I think they got that one spot on. But no, I look, I've got no regrets over that, you know, paid the bills. I was When I was a candidate, I had nothing. I was on benefits, right? I was on uh, tax credits and surviving, you know, working on a building site. So someone pays me 20 grand to be in an advert, I'm going to be in an advert for 20 grand. I'll do whatever they want, to be frank. So, um, you know, I have no regrets about that. It was funny. And uh, I, I understood it wasn't going to be shown in this country, actually. But then they showed it at half-time in the Super Bowl um, uh, that year in America, and that's how everyone found out about it. It's been one of my favourite Real Me interviews. <laughs> Daisy, you say I, that. I you don't say actually, that. I know. I don't actually. And you, you, can, you can watch the ending of all of my interviews. OK. And I'm not sure I've said that before. You're very kind, Gloria. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Johnny Mercer. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the GB News Real Me podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And you can join me every Monday to Thursday from midday live on GB News for The Briefing, your hour-long dose of political analysis. Thank you.